I want to thank AWR for giving me this opportunity of sharing my testimony. The title of my testimony is From Pushing Dope to Pushing Hope in Jesus. And I'm going to be talking about how God delivered me from a life of drugs, crime, and prison and gave me a social media ministry that reaches millions of people around the world and has led to countless changed lives. But before we do that, before I do that, please join me as I pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that this testimony will be an occasion for your power and your love to be exalted. I pray for your Holy Spirit to bless us at this time and to use me as I speak about what you have done in my life, and I pray that this will inspire others to make decisions for Jesus as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, you probably don't, mean to, don't need me to tell you where I am from and where uh, I was born and live. I'm sure that my accent gives that away, right? But just in case you were still wondering, I was born in Poland, and I live in Poland, Europe. Some of you may be asking yourself, how in the world could someone with a perfect American accent be born in and live in Poland? Let me tell you about it. I was born in Poland, but I left the country with my family when I was three years old, because my father was a political refugee. He was part of the Solidarity Movement in Poland, which was opposed to the communist government at the time, so they deported him. They gave my father an ultimatum, either go to South Africa or the United States. And so he chose the United States. And that's where I picked up this American accent from. I have lived in the United States since the age of three, and then I was deported to Poland when I was 31 years old. This deportation thing seems to run in the family. I think it's genetic. I'll talk more about that later. Anyway, after my father was deported, we came to California and bounced around a few cities until we eventually settled in Antioch, California. That's where I grew up. In case you're wondering where that is, that's in the East Bay, around 45 minutes east of San Francisco. We had nothing when we came to the United States, and my father worked hard to provide for our family. When we got off the plane, my father only had $40 in his pocket and four kids and a wife to provide for. I remember all of us sleeping on one mattress on the ground together. That's how broke we were. With practically no knowledge of the English language, he started mowing lawns and doing menial work. Sometimes he worked two jobs a day and slept in his car between jobs just to make ends meet. In time, he started his own construction company and he became a successful contractor. My mother was a housewife. My parents had a traditional marriage where my father was the breadwinner and my mother stayed home, cooked the meals, and tended after the kids. All four of us little wild animals. I had three sisters and she didn't have it easy. Let me tell you, we were some troublemakers. I grew up in a Catholic home, but we weren't particularly spiritual. 
We hardly ever went to church except on Easter and Christmas, and I don't ever remember reading the Bible with my family. However, when I was around 10 years old, I attended my first communion. That's like a Catholic rite of passage for those of you who don't know. I learned how to pray the Our Father and the Rosary, and I even learned a little bit about Jesus and the Bible. I was curious about the Bible, so I asked my father to buy a Bible for me, which he did, and I read the first few chapters of the book of Genesis, and they inspired me. However, the cares of this life distracted me from God's word, and I wouldn't pick it up again several years later while incarcerated in federal prison. When I became a teenager, I started hanging out with the wrong crowd, and I began using drugs and alcohol. By the time I was 12 years old, I got kicked out of high school for smoking weed. And by the the time I was 16, I had already tried methamphetamine. Throughout my teenage years, I experimented with a variety of drugs, including weed, meth, cocaine, and psychedelic mushrooms, to name a few. Some of you may be asking, where did you get all of this money for these drugs? Well, I worked. Sometimes I worked for my dad's construction company. Other times I had various jobs, like at fast food restaurants. I worked for a clothing store once, and I also worked for an electronic store. But I was spending a lot of money on drugs and alcohol, so I think, Something must be done about this. So what do you think I did? Do you think I gave up using drugs and alcohol? No, you'd be giving me too much credit. I came up with an ingenious idea. At least, I thought it was an ingenious idea at the time. I would decide to start selling drugs so I would have more drugs and more money. I was around 18 years old when I started my narcos career, and it got off to a bad start. I got caught selling weed at school and was promptly arrested. It was right before graduation day, so I missed my high school graduation. I didn't spend too much time in jail, only a few days, but I got six months probation. I stayed clean from my probation, but after my probation was over, What do you think I did? Do you think I learned my lesson? No, I went right back to using and selling drugs and actually ended up becoming worse off than before. And that reminds me of the parable of the unclean spirit. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 through 45, Jesus said, When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it be with this wicked generation. People can make improvements to their lives. They can change their habits, like me when I cleaned up for six months, when I was on probation. But unless Jesus is abiding in the heart, there's a danger of relapsing. 
Why do you think so many people go back to prison after getting released and supposedly being rehabilitated or go back to using drugs after quitting for some time? It's because demons still find a way to influence them. They, say, they see Jesus as not in control of that person, so they move in and take control. But anyway, things escalated quickly after I started using and selling drugs again. I drank more and started using harder drugs like cocaine on a regular basis. I actually developed a pretty bad cocaine habit for a while there, and I was selling all kinds of drugs too. Weed, cocaine, and meth. The money was good, but it came with a lot of troubles. One time I got robbed. Someone stole a pound of weed from me. They broke into a house where I had stashed it when no one was home. Sometimes people didn't want to pay me back when I fronted them drugs. And I was paranoid. I carried a gun with me everywhere I went. I even got into a couple of shootouts, believe it or not. Fortunately, no one was killed. My drug addiction started taking its toll on me. I went from using cocaine to meth because I lost my cocaine connection, so I supplemented that with meth use. That was a bad decision. I mean, cocaine is a bad enough drug as it is, but meth is just so much more destructive. It causes you not to eat and sleep for days. I lost weight and would hallucinate when I didn't sleep for a few days. It made me real paranoid too. It also affected my narcos career because people would call me for drugs, but I would miss their call because I would be asleep after a long meth binge. One time I was up for three days and then slept for an entire day. I was in a deplorable condition and I knew it. I tried to quit using drugs, but to no avail. I experienced withdrawals. When you try to stop using meth after using for some time, you have something called come downs. It's hard to explain, but it makes you feel weak causes you to shake and you can't think straight and the only thing that seems to bring you back to normal is another hit or line of meth. At around the same time this was all going on, I watched a television show on the History Channel about the life of Jesus which gave evidence to prove that Jesus really existed. This reminded me of my first communion in the Bible my dad gave me and encouraged me to call out to God for help. God worked through the History Channel to reach me. Now, I don't recommend going to the History Channel to learn about God, but God works in mysterious ways. I wasn't reading the Bible at the time, so how else could God get my attention? So, as I was laying in my bed one night with tears in my eyes because I was addicted to drugs, I offered up a simple prayer. God, if you're real, help me. I did the in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit thing because that's the way that I was taught. But I believe that God heard my prayer, even though it may not have been completely biblical. Because Acts chapter 17 verse 30 says, God overlooks our ignorance. And 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 7 says, the Lord looks on the heart. So God knew I was sincere. A couple of things happened after my prayer. 
First of all, I remember holding a couple of ounces of meth in my hand that I was getting ready to sell and feeling convicted that what I was doing was wrong. Before that, it was easy for me to justify selling drugs. I told myself, if I don't do it, somebody else would do it. But here I was feeling guilty for what I was doing. At that time, I had been involved in a drug trade for about five years and never felt guilty for what I did. So God was working on my heart. Also, within about a two-week period of time, two separate pairs of guys knocked on my door asking if I wanted to study the Bible with them. That struck me because I couldn't remember the last time some Christians came to my house and invited me to study the Bible with them, let alone twice in two weeks. It was like there was a sign on my door, come here if you're looking for a Bible student. I've wondered sometimes if that was God's way of giving me a chance to avoid going to prison because that's where I was headed next. I turned those two groups of guys away and then I continued my criminal lifestyle. The reason that I turned them away is because I felt ashamed to invite these good Christian people into my house where here I was, a criminal and a drug addict. And I assume that's the same reason many people refuse to come to church or to accept Jesus or to come to Jesus. They simply think they're not good enough. But if that's what you think, you'll never come to Jesus because we can never be good enough. Jesus calls us to come to him as we are. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 28, he said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Whatever your condition is, come to Jesus. If you wait until you're perfect, you'll never come to Jesus because you'll never be perfect. Come as you are. Come right now, and Jesus will give your soul rest, peace, release, and the freedom you relief and the freedom you are longing for. Shortly after I turned those church people away, I got a call from someone who wanted to buy a pound of crystal meth. So we agreed to meet up in a parking lot in Emeryville, California. He was with a friend and we got in his friend's car so they can check out the drugs. I had them hidden in a, in a box from, from some kind of electronic device so it looked like I was carrying around this product that I just bought. And when I got into the car, which was a Ford Mustang, I sat in the back and the two of them sat in the front. As I pulled the drugs out of the box so they can check them out, one of the guys clicked a button on his phone and immediately we were surrounded by vehicles screeching to a halt. Just as fast as they had stopped, undercover DEA agents jumped out of the car with guns and rifles drawn, demanding us to get out with our hands in the air. I was carrying a gun on me at the time, so what do you think I did next? No, I didn't pull it out and get into a shootout with the police. I wasn't that foolish. 
but I did manage to slip it out of my waistband and tuck it under the passenger seat of the car before getting out of the car because I was trying to avoid getting caught with that gun. That was a very dangerous thing to do and it didn't help me. I ended up getting charged with the gun anyway. But after they found the gun, one of the things that one of the DEA agents told me struck me. He said, how in the world did you pull that gun out of your waistband and hide it without me seeing me? I had my sights on you the whole time. And if I would have seen that gun, I would have shot you. Maybe God was protecting me because he had a different plan for my life. So I was promptly arrested and booked into Santa Rita Jail in Alameda, California. The way the federal prison system works in California is you spend time in county jail until you receive your sentence and then you are transferred to federal prison. Jail gave me some time to sober up and reflect on the life that I was leading. I came to the conclusion that living a criminal life is useless because it only leads down the path of prison, drug addiction, or death. I knew, I personally knew several people who ended up that way. I once knew a guy named Tim who bought weed from me in Antioch, California. He sold weed too. The cops raided his apartment early one morning and startled him awake. They claimed that he was going for a gun and a police officer shot him without hesitation with a shotgun. He died instantly. He was only like 18 years old. I thought that could have been me. So I knew something had to change in my life. At the suggestion of inmates that I met in the county jail, I started reading the Bible and attending Christian services. Volunteers from outside churches came and ministered to the prisoners. It was at one of these services that I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. An old Baptist minister named Earl conducted these services. He taught us about the Ten Commandments, that breaking the Ten Commandments is sin, and the wages of sin is death. That made me feel guilty. The Holy Spirit was convicting me of my sinful life. But Earl didn't stop there. He also told us about Jesus and his sacrifice for our sins on the cross. And that if we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we would be forgiven and saved. Earl made an appeal to accept Jesus by raising our hands so we can pray with him. My hand shot straight up. And after we prayed, it felt like a weight had been lifted from my shoulders. My guilt was gone and I was flooded with inexpressible joy, the joy of being reconciled to God. And I felt like a new person. And people noticed after we got back to ourselves, one guy saw me and said, something's different about you. I attended a few of Earl's services he told me he was a Baptist elder, but he also told me his church would disfellowship if they found out some of the old other things that he believed in. For example, he told us that the Sabbath was on Saturday. He also told us 1844 was the beginning of God's judgment, and he said the papacy is the Antichrist. I wonder where he got that info from. 
God has people in Babylon. Amen. Anyway, I was still going to Catholic services at the time, but I started to notice some contradictions between the teachings of the Catholic Church and the Bible, which I was now reading. For example, the Bible teaches that only God has the ability to forgive sins, not some priest. Not to mention there is no example of anyone confessing their sins to a priest in the New Testament. Neither do you find anyone bowing down to and praying to Mary or the saints. The Catholic Church claims Peter is the first pope, yet there's no biblical evidence of this. He's never called the pope or the bishop of Rome in scripture. Also, Sunday sacredness is not found in the Bible. One time I was attending a Catholic service and I asked the volunteer leading the service, why do we keep Sunday holy when the Bible says the seventh day is holy, which is Saturday? She told me, because the Catholic Church changed it. That's why. And in fact, that's no secret. The Catholic Church openly admits this in the catechism. And when I heard this response, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2 came into my mind. It says, You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. I thought, no one has a right to change God's law. So I ended up leaving the Catholic Church. I wanted to follow the truth, not man-made tradition. Amen? Around the same time, I was reading the Bible and a lot of different Christian literature to try to help me make sense of the Bible, and I came across the book, The Great Controversy in County Jail in the Library, and I was immediately impressed. This is the truth. It spoke about the Sabbath, which I was already convinced Christians needed to keep. It helped me make sense of Bible prophecy, and the stories of the Protestant Reformation inspired me. Not to mention, it talked about the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I wasn't aware there was a church that kept the Sabbath, so I thought, I need to learn more about this church. Unfortunately, there weren't any Adventist Christians in the county jail where I was at, so I would have to wait until after my transfer to federal prison. In the meantime, I'd like to share some experiences I had in county jail before being transferred. So I had a cellmate who was a Christian too, and we'd read the Bible together and pray together. We'd go to Christian services as well together. One time we went to a service where a lady was ministering to us. It was me, him, and another guy that went there only so he can get out of the cell. Sometimes people went to these services simply to get out of their cell because we'd be cooped up in our cell for like 20 hours a day. And she told me, God's got something special for you. I didn't ask what it was. I felt that God would reveal it in due time. But sometimes I wonder if she was talking about my social media ministry. My Sally said, does God have something special for me too? And she answered, no, because you're not sincere. And he just stood there and looked like a deer caught in the headlights. And he said nothing. Also, as a result of the gun and drugs that I had when I was arrested, I was facing a total of up to 18 years in prison. 
At the time I was arrested, the federal government had tough laws against drug and gun crimes. I don't really know what they're like now, but since I had a fully loaded gun with eight rounds in the magazine, they could charge me one year for each bullet in addition to five years for the drugs and five years for the gun. Can you imagine the prospect of spending 18 years in prison at the age of 23? I'd be out at the age of 41. I'm 41 now. My birthday is next month, by the way, though, so if you want to leave me a present, my room number is 1009. If you want to remain anonymous, you can leave your gift by the door. By the way, I like chocolate. So anyway, I remember getting down on my knees in my cell one day and telling God, I can't take the stress of facing such a long prison sentence. And I decided to hand my burden over to him and I felt instant relief. I had the assurance that it was in God's hands now and he would work it out. And you won't believe what happened next. When I went to sentencing, my lawyers told me the prosecutor was offering me a deal for nine years. The charges would be using a cell phone to facilitate a drug transaction and possession of a firearm. The reason she was willing to give me a more lenient sentence is because I reminded her of her brother who was a drug addict. Nine years was still a long time, but my lawyers advised me to sign the deal immediately because I wasn't getting a better one. They were surprised that I got that deal. They were sure that I would get 15 years at least. After my sentence, I heard that my prosecutor was reprimanded by her superiors and she quit her job because she was tired of seeing young men like me receive so harsh sentences. After arriving at federal prison, I found a group of Adventists who I started studying the Bible with. We used the Amazing Facts Bible study guides and watched Doug Batchelor's tapes and all the things that I was learning lined up with scripture. I was all in and so I ended up getting baptized at Lompoc Federal Prison in the prison chapel. After my baptism, I was convicted that I needed to share my faith. I took the commission that Jesus gave to go out to the world and preach the gospel personally. I started sharing Bible literature with other inmates. One guy I shared the great controversy with threw it into his locker. He attended a oneness Pentecostal service, but after about two years, he sensed that something was wrong with that service and he stopped going. Upon opening his locker, he saw the great controversy which had been laying there in a dark corner for a couple of years, and he began to read it. He was getting close to his release, but he stopped me to tell me that what he was reading is the truth, and after his release, he was going to look for a Seventh-day Adventist church. Aside from literature evangelism, I was doing one-on-one Bible studies with people. I watched a video series called Winsome Witnessing, by Gary Gibbs, which gave me the knowledge and confidence I needed to start conducting Bible studies. In one of the first Bible studies that I conducted, we were learning about the prophecies of Daniel chapter 2 and the second coming of Jesus. 
the guy I was studying with said that he recently had a vivid dream where Jesus had returned. People around him were praying, being illuminated by light from heaven, and they were being taken to heaven. He said he started praying too, but his hands fell to his sides because he lacked an assurance of salvation. I told him, do you want an assurance of salvation? He said, yes. So we turned our Bibles to 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 to 14, which reads, And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you have an assurance of salvation. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it's not too late. Accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. Throughout my stay in prison, I shared literature with thousands of prisoners and conducted numerous one-on-one Bible studies. I was released at the end of 2010 and deported to Poland. Even though I was born in Poland, I felt more like an American because I was raised in California. Unfortunately, I never obtained my United States citizenship. I only had a green card, and that gave the government a right to revoke my green card because I was in prison. Poland was like a foreign country to me. I had a limited understanding of the Polish language when I arrived. However, I still had a missionary spirit, so I looked for ways to share my faith in English online. I eventually started uploading videos to YouTube, and God blessed my efforts. I started the channel I have now, Bible Flockbox, in 2014. And since then, my videos have been viewed over 63 million times, and my channel has gained 563,000 subscribers. Amen. But it all started with a desire to share the three angels' messages and prayer. When I started my channel, I prayed that God would help me reach millions of people with the gospel, and I would be able to make a living as a Christian YouTuber. It took some time to get there, but God answered my prayer. Today, YouTube is my full-time job, and the income I earn is enough to support my family. Not to mention the lives that God has changed through my videos. I get messages from people all of the time telling me that God has used my videos to help them understand the Bible better, find an Adventist church near them, and get baptized. That's what it's all about. I used to live a life of drugs, crime, and prison. But Jesus delivered me. And if Jesus delivered me, he can deliver you from your sins Two, come to Jesus today as you are and accept him as your Lord and Savior. He will forgive your sins, relieve your guilt, and liberate you from sinful living. Amen.